Christmas is near, and this is going to be the first of the four uh, worship services we have coming toward Christmas. And I want to thank whoever decorated the church and that wonderful, beautiful, beautiful decorations. But it's important, I believe, well, when you just think about it, Christmas, celebrating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into this world. It was the event of all events, the mother of events, to take place in this earth where, Christ, where God becomes man in order to, to save those that are his and then uh, makes it possible for us to have eternal life with him and all of that goes along with it. And so uh, we have thought, it, uh, we, we have thought, yes, that's proper. We have thought uh, it proper to really enjoy the Christmas season together and worship together, focusing on the Christmas season. And we're not just focusing on the Christian season uh, this coming four weeks, but we're focusing on the Old Testament on prophecies, and on those, those prophecies that, that uh, look forward to the coming of the Christ child, and what it brings to our mind in every single case is the sovereignty of God. How God, through history, through time, through space, through all of this, kept his promises from failing and brought the Christ child which he had already thought of before the foundation of the world to bring to us uh, at that time. And so this will grow in terms of, of our understanding of, of all of that. And I would invite you to uh, stand out of respect and reverence for the word of God as we read from God's word. Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 7, perhaps the most specific of all the Old Testament passages detailing the coming of the Christ child. Let us listen to God's holy and precious and infallible word. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he, God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice in your presence as with joy at the harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let us bow in prayer. Our Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now there is a lot of information in these seven verses. <laughs> I hope you have all day. <laughs> and my first wife, you know, I, I'm married to my second wife. I was married to my first wife for 50 years. My second wife was married to her first husband for 55 years. And then both of our, our spouses uh, died. They, they're deceased. And then a lady in this church who took care of my wife's husband for the last two years of his life decided she was going to introduce us. Her name was Melissa Williamson. And she introduced us. It took, it was a, it took a while. Uh, and she suggested to both of us separately that maybe we would perhaps uh, like to get to know one another. And we said no. <laughs> After being married for 50 or 55 years, you're not ready to do that. But then finally I thought, you know, it is nice to be with a woman and, and to have a woman next to you. And so I, I called Melissa up and I said, uh, actually I think I had John call Melissa up <laughs> and tell her that if this woman would be interested at all to have her allow me to use her phone to call her and ask her out for coffee. And unbelievably, she said yes and gave the phone, and I called her up and been taking her out for coffee ever since. <laughs> but uh, we were married a, a year ago, a couple of Sundays ago. But uh, now what does that have to do? What was I talking about? <laughs> it must have been important because I was talking about it. Uh, Oh, my former wife would not allow me to preach over 25 minutes. She says, after that, everybody goes to sleep. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep this to 25 minutes. So we'll, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. But the very first verse itself is difficult to understand. And you look at it and you think, what in the world is he saying? But it's not really difficult. It's really quite easy. And it's, and it's uh, very revealing. Every single verse in our passage points to Christ. This one specifically points to Christ. It says, there will be no more gloom. So apparently there was gloom where, prior to this for her who was in anguish. For in former time, and former time is, is contrasted later on in the verse with the latter time. The former time would have been the time of Isaiah. He realizes he is in the former time. It says, in the former time, God brought into contempt. That's God brought under judgment. And it's going to be talking about bringing under judgment Israel. And chapter 8, the chapter prior to chapter 9, it goes from 8 to 9, not 9 to 8. 
goes from 8 to 9. In chapter 8 uh, is, is the prophecy of the judgment of Israel uh, by God. And that judgment by Israel would be uh, to have Assyria come down and, and totally dismantle Israel. And I'll talk about that in a second. The, uh, the land of Na- Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Naphtali was all around the Jordan, uh, the Galilee, Sea of Galilee, where Capernaum was. Uh, Zebulun is Galilee more toward the Mediterranean Sea, where Nazareth was. And so he brought, uh, and and when, when the Assyrian hordes would come, they would come from the north down, right through Galilee and right through Naphtali and right through Zebulun, and they would be the first to get the brunt of these forces. I guess I should go ahead and tell you now what these forces were like. They, they were cruel and violent. They would impale you in stakes if you were a leader or the like. And they, we have a Bas relief uh, in London that was taken from Nineveh, uh, which was the capital of Assyria, we're in the palace of Nineveh. They have a bas relief, that is a, a, a relief with, with uh, the heads coming out a little bit and you know just a little bit and the bodies and so on of the of 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 Sennacherib. Yeah, Sennacherib was a Shamanizer. Sennacherib defeating Lachish, which was a fortified city that was down near where. Uh, David fought Goliath and was a fortified city and they have the walls there and they have these people in, uh, with, with uh, iron going through them and everything to show what they did to Lachish. They were a bad people in terms of what they did to the people, cutting them up, skinning them alive, taking them away captive. And Isaiah had just prophesied that this is going to be the immediate future for Israel. And the ones who will bear the brunt first are Naphtali and Zebulun. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He, God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land of the Jordan, the galley of the nations. You'll notice, we've already noticed that Zebulun and Naphtali are Galilee. Well, so are these terms. These are different terms for Galilee. The way of the sea came right by Capernaum. It was the road from, from Assyria and Babylon down to Egypt, and it came within a stone's throw of the, the town of Capernaum. By the way, it was called the way of the sea because it came down by, by the Mediterranean Sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Do you know that, that Isaiah is the only Old Testament prophet or anyone to talk about Galilee as Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles? It wasn't the Galilee of the Gentiles in their day. It was the Galilee of the Jews. But over a period of time, with conquering after conquering, coming down and, do, and doing what they do, and then with the Roman state finally 
By the time of Christ, it was indeed the Galilee of the nations. There were more Gentiles in Galilee at that time than there were Jews. And, and so that in itself is quite significant just to see him call Galilee, Galilee of, of the nations. But now we come to the prophecy. It be, this verse begins, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land of the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then the New Testament in Matthew tells us this. The, Matthew, uh, the passage in Matthew chapter 4 says that this was fulfilled literally. We read in verses 12 through 17 of Matthew 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Only one verse. We're already realizing how important and how careful and how, how specific all of this is. Reminds us that we worship a God who controls history, who controls what he has planned and prepared. It's not going to go away. It's going to go the way he planned. And we begin to wonder at the beauty of that and appreciate it. Well, the latter part of that verse is in the latter time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land of the Jordan, uh, the Galilee of the nations. And before identifying the child that is going to make all this possible, he goes on to describe the, the glorious part of what's going to be happening. And he does that in four verses, two through five. And the first thing we find is the way he describes how th this is going to change is that light will displace darkness. The people who walked in darkness, verse 2, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light, light has shined. Notice he uses the past tense. This is called the prophetic perfect by Hebrew scholars. That, that, what, what that means is that, that they're using the past tense to, to state what is going to be so obvious in the future that they can speak of it as already done. That's what it means. Okay. In the midst of a dark and desolate land, God will bring this light. Isn't that like God? God goes straight to the place of strict darkness that has had gloom and despair written all over it. And he places Jesus right in the middle of it. Zebulun and Naphtali, a great light in the midst of a dark and dismal world. 
Jesus came saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And the same message comes to us as we receive Christ into our hearts, as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face uh, of Christ. Light will displace darkness. Joy will displace gloom. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice in your presence as with joy at the harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Notice joy or rejoice four times here in this text. and says you have multiplied the nation. They're about to experience in Isaiah's time the decimation of the nation. Now they're going to experience the multiplication of the nation. Of course, the nation in the New Testament was his body, the body of believers, the body of Christ, those who are the recipients of all that, that Christ came to do. But, but, and remember, the gospel is, is that which brings joy. You know, I think of joy to the world, the Lord has come. And what are those words? Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, you know, in that, in that carol. Very fitting for the coming of Christ. Instead of loss of life and being led captive, the nation's going to be multiplied. They will be like they will be dividing the spoil as in victory. And, and surely that's who we are as the, as the gospel has, has spread out. And, and brought so many in, and they are rejoicing because they are in him. Light will displace darkness, joy will displace gloom, freedom will displace oppression. Uh, verse 4, for you have broken the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as on the day of Midian. He gives the example of Midian when, when the... the uh, Midianites and the, and the Malachites and the sons of the east would swing down and into the land of Israel and round the Jezreel Valley and down the, it, even as far as Gaza. And, and they, they would do that after everything is planted and, and, and all the plants are growing up and you have the fruit and everything else and the harvest. And they would come and just take it for themselves. And they did that for seven years until all of a sudden Gideon and his 300 men sort of circled their encampment and in the Jezreel Valley, and they broke the jars and they blew the trumpets and, and Midianites and the Malachites and the sons of the east fled away, yelling and crying, trying to get back to their own land, broken. So also, you have broken the yoke of their burden, the burden of God's people. That is what the coming of this Christ child does. And peace will displace war. For every... Buddha, the booted warrior in the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. All the accoutrements of warfare in the battle uh, will be utterly destroyed. Clothes will be burned, everything. There will be no need to wear them anymore. And so that's what it, this is going to look like once this child comes. Now he comes to focus on the child. 
How will all this happen? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Actually, the government will be on his shoulders. But you can use the word rest, rest in place of the word be. For unto us a child. This is going to happen by a child. A child's going to be born. He's going to be a son. A son is going to be given. And then notice it says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God gave this child to us. Why did he give this child to us? I don't know. Because of his grace. Because we needed him. We needed him badly. We were in darkness. We were in sin. We were in rebellion. We needed that joy and peace and all that he came to provide. He is born. He is given to us. He is here. He is ours. How many ways can we say this to begin to realize that this is not an academic exercise? This is a personal relationship, relational belief, trust in a God who does this for us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Not that the child will be put over the government, but that the government, God's people, the church, the body of Christ, will rest on his shoulders. This is an incredible prophecy thus far. All these, light, joy, freedom, peace, will be found in a child to be born in the midst of a ravaged land. In Isaiah's day, in former times, there was gloom, darkness, oppression, war. But in that time frame came the promise, some 750 years later it would take place, uh, that gloom would be replaced by joy, darkness would be replaced by light, oppression would be replaced by freedom, war would be, be, be replaced by peace. And this would all come about because a child would be born unto us on whose shoulders the government, the kingdom of God, would rest. Reminding us of only one child that that could be, who said, who declared and promised, I am the light of the world. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recover of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. My peace I leave unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then Isaiah goes on to say regarding this child very specifically. And his name shall be called. The name having to do with the very character of that child. 
of the very nature of that child. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you'll have to forgive me. I'm doing one of those dumb things I always do when you may know too much or know too little about what you know or don't know. But I did once teach Hebrew. And I did live in Israel for a year with Hebrew. However, I'm not depending on my Hebrew. I'm depending on some Hebrew scholars. All of these are nouns. All of them. There's not an adjective there. And I'm going to give you the translation in the order that they come in the text. Wonder of a counselor. God of might. Father of everlasting. Prince of peace. Let's look at these names. Wonder of a counselor. The word wonder is not just a general term. When it's, this particular word for wonder is only used in the Old Testament of God, of his deeds, of his work. For example, in Psalm 78, 11, it says, They forgot his deeds and his miracles he had shown them. He wrought wonders before their fathers. And the word counselor, when used of God, really deals with his understanding and his wisdom. So these are wonders coming out of God's wisdom and God's understanding. He is a wonder of a counselor. God of might. This is the word that's only used of God. El Gabor. Being used here of a child. Being used here of a son. El Gabor is like El uh, El Shaddai, thank you, or El El Yon, God the Most High God, El Shaddai, God Almighty, El Gabor, God of might, of the child, divine. The next one, Father of everlasting. God is forever our father, but the child as a father? I thought the father was the father and the son was the son. But here the child is called the father of everlasting. We do remember that Philip said to Jesus in in, uh, the night before he died and they were in the upper room, He says, show us a father and that will satisfy us. And Jesus said, have you been so long with me that you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. He said, elsewhere, I and the father are one. Well, we also know that he prayed to the father. And he taught others to pray to the father. So don't ask me to tell you how to put this all together or try to come up with a Trinitarian formula of some sort, you know. But we do know that as a father, he, he does the following. He, uh, he cares, he provides, he sustains, he nourishes, he looks after your needs, he provides for every exigency. As Psalm 103, 13 says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Nonetheless, that's a pretty big name for a child, for a baby. 
And the final one, Prince of Peace. Prince could be used in terms of others, princes. But you can't attach it to peace with the princes of this world. He's a king that secures peace. When we pause to consider all the names, we find that all are attributes basically of God. They include the full spectrum of divine attributes. When we look in history, there's only one child of whom every one of these attributes fit. And what will our response be this Christmas season? As we celebrate Christmas, what will we think of when we think of this babe? This child? Also, we need to end with the duration of this child. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. His government is progressive. Of the increase of his government, there, there will be no end. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, going, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. It is increasing. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And it is perpetual. From this time forth and forevermore. How do we know it's going to happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.